I'm Maria Homan, and you're listening to Decoding Automation, a no-code podcast brought to you by Leapwork. Welcome to this episode of Decoding Automation. In today's episode, I have Florin Manol and Sun Engsi with me in the studio. Both are experts in automation and deal with countless businesses on a day-to-day basis to help them leverage the benefits of automating repetitive, tedious processes. In this episode, we talk about the differences and similarities between test automation and RPA, robotic process automation, and how from a business perspective, you can benefit from these technologies. We talk about a business case where a process went from taking about 45 minutes down to two minutes. And Suna and Florin lay out the requirements for automation tools that will let businesses see these types of benefits fast. We also talk about no-code, low-code, citizen developers, and more. So stay tuned. So today we're going to be talking about automation and the benefits of automation, more specifically test automation and robotic process automation or RPA. I'd like to start out by defining these two terms so that we're all on the same page. Sooner, maybe you can start out with uh, test automation and then Florin can tell us about RPA. Yes, uh, certainly. So, so test automation, as implied, of course, is uh, automating processes in test. So, verifying and and uh, you know confirming that whatever features and functionalities that you are either having or building are still in working order. So, um, you know, every steps that you need to take to uh, what you would otherwise do manually. And I guess that's that's the uh, the similar thing, right? The the steps that you as a user would be otherwise forced to do is something that you can now automate, but obviously in a testing context. And what about RPA then? How does that how is that different from test automation? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of debate regarding test automation and RPA and how they are different, but. In the more recent reports from from uh, analysts, uh, they are actually converging a bit. So, kind of the same technology now it's used in both directions with a bit of extension in the RPA space because you need a bit more robust constructs. As RPA is usually performing those processes that Sune was mentioning into a production environment, so you need a bit more security, more kind of robustness into your processes so that they don't fail because if they fail they will be a lot more costly as they are running on a production environment. All right, so in theory there is definitely a difference between test automation and RPA, but in practice perhaps the difference is fading out a little bit or how would you say? Well, I think that uh, for sure there has been a difference, but I think it's really ha- it ha- it has more to do with the origin of the activities really. So when talking about testing, uh, typically something going on in the IT space, in, in the IT department, whereas RPA is very frequently something which is originating from the business side of things. And I think that's what's, uh, I, I very much agree with the convergence thing, and I think um, <clears throat> it's it's been driven by business, really. So it's basically... Uh, widening the both the audience and the users of automation. And what I mean with that is that when you when you're just or just testing things, then it's uh, something that's going on, as I say, in the IT space. Uh, obviously, involving business, but you know the main actor are the IT uh, resources. Whereas when you want to do automation in in uh, in a production context, then there's a it's, it's a different crowd basically, and it's business users and it's business stakeholders. And I see the drive at least there to try and see if we can some way 
expand on who can we put into action, so to speak, uh, to drive automation. Um, and so coming from that drive, I see those uh, those tendencies in terms of saying, well, we need uh, we need to make some of those treats and traits that are applicable maybe in test or in automation. We need them to sort of, you know, come together. One of the examples being, um, which of course we are an exponent of, is the, is the no-code approach. So enabling uh, that wider audience to take a larger stake in the automation agenda. Yeah, maybe to add to that, it's like the borderline between the test automation and the RPA would be the actual functional tests that the users are doing, because those are tests done usually by business users by or by the end users, and they are belonging to the test environment, but you would perform a very similar activity once you move that application into production. If everything succeeds, you would do the same operations in order to automate or do RPA on that particular application or set of applications. Yeah. Very true. So I usually I, I quite often joke with some of the clients and say, okay, so yesterday's regression flow is tomorrow's production, production flow, flow, right? Yeah. So it works seamlessly in test, now move it to production, which is of course what they do with the code, right? So the features that they're building. So why not just move the test flow? Of course some some work needs to be done to in order for it to run uh in, in RPA or in production context, but but the point is still the same though. It's ultimately the same question and challenge of getting a process to move from A to B uh, in in a in an application environment. And will most tools allow you to do that, or is that uh, like because there are definitely tools that are designed for or meant for testing markets, and then there are tools that are meant for uh, business environments or you know business users it's like RPA tools. So, would you say that most tools are capable of both test automation and RPA, or? So as most analysts reports present nowadays, basically the test automation tools are moving towards RPA. So most vendors which are well established in in the test automation space are now offering RPA uh, capabilities as well. And the main reason behind this is that um, when you have a good automation technology, and you understand the applications by testing them, you have a lot more in-depth insights into those applications. So, of course, when coming to RPA or production, productivizing that uh, particular uh, application or, or set of processes, you would need to understand the application. That's the first step. And the test automation tools actually have that capability already. So it's pretty easy for them to make this transition or this jump into the RPA space by by offering, um, let's say, some enhanced capabilities in order to be able to serve the RPA space as it is um, slightly more demanding. As I mentioned, security and some other additional features would be required uh, in order to automate processes on a production environment. Um, moving the other way around, it would be a bit more tricky because RPA vendors are automating things in production, but they do not have a clear or in-depth understanding of the actual applications um, under the hood. So it would be very difficult for them to make this transition. However, they are still attempting to do it. We'll see if that succeeds or not in the in the near future. 
And what would you say the benefits are of automation? I mean, now we've talked about it from a slightly technical perspective, what the differences are, but when talking to a business user, why do people even automate in the first place? Well, of course, as with any good answers, there are more than just one angle to that. Uh, so if you were to if you were to go to that business user working in, uh, if for instance, if it's, a, if it's both in production and test context really and say, you know, how would you like those trivial, monotonous, repetitive, boring tasks? What would you what would you say if I could make those go away? And typically, they would light up in a fairly significant smile uh, because obviously that means that they could use their time on something more valuable uh, and rewarding for themselves, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's one side of thing. If you're looking at it from an organization perspective, so the owner of the business, if you will, um, obviously we're looking into a domain where you can. Uh, you can ex- you can uh, accelerate their ability to execute, to uh, to perform uh, and deliver more with the same resources available. And to boot, you can uh, add quality to that execution because you are, in, in many aspects, removing that human error factor, which tends to only go up when we talk about those boring, monotonous tasks. So, um, so those are on the intangible side, but but you know, looking into it from a, you know, more traditional business, uh, business case driven perspective, it's, it's a very simple case of uh, efficiency and capacity uh, increasing to that, uh, which is, which is a, a real challenge, irrespectively, we're talking production or test. And would you say the need for automation has maybe increased or decreased during this time that we have now with the Corona crisis and a lot of pressure on resources? Or- it was only going up before <laughs> COVID nineteen, yeah. and it's uh, it's uh, it's not it's not slowing down. Not let's let's put it that way. So let's pretend again, taking it from the business owner perspective here, that I'm a um, an owner of a, an owner of a software development uh, company, and I'm already using test automation. Now you touched upon this briefly before, but how can I also if I if I'm if I've heard about RPA before and I I'm intrigued, I see the benefits, I understand them. Um, how would I enter into that space? Where does the journey start for me if I want to leverage the benefits of, of RPA too? Well, not a straight answer to this one, but um, um, there are lots of players actually on the market nowadays. Um, as I said, some of them are emerging from the test space um, or from other areas of, um, of software industry. And they are trying to make this transition into, into RPA. So one of the key things to have in mind is that you need to have the technical capability to automate something. So, of course, uh, working across technologies is something very beneficial. Um, That would make it a lot more easy to manage in a a company and uh, it would add more benefits to it. Um, Ease of use also comes with uh, the actual way of doing automation so if you have a very visual language and it's very easy to use of course it would be a lot easier for people to adopt it and training is one of the main components which takes time uh, in order to adopt uh, rpa or automation in general and getting that right um, you need to have certain enablers one of them being the ease of use if you have a very simple tool or easy language uh, to automate then it will pick up uh, or it would have traction with your users. 
of course, some of the other enablers, like having a community, uh, having support, which is dedicated for the customers or even for visitors of your uh, website. That's also a beneficial thing that could help you automate and have a smoother journey in this um, in this space. Yeah, and and then obviously talking about the technical enablers to do automation, then obviously also as an organization, you need to um, you need also to have a fairly firm grasp of those processes uh, that it is that you want to automate. Um, so um, I see a lot of, of uh, I've seen a lot of cases where the clients have begun with, you know, purchasing an automation tool to solve a problem because they understand they need automation. And then they're kind of missing out on the part, which is to understand how their business process landscape is really working. So for instance, um, if you have a lot of business processes, which are not essentially performing, um, let's say that you are operating a call center and all of your uh, all of your request to resolution processes are failing so they are you know they have uh, second and third and and fourth reiterations included in them um, obviously if you automate that then you're just going to have more of that you're going to have more pains they're just going to be generating themselves so to speak so so before you apply the automation approach uh, you need to get your ducks in a row um, and make sure that you have uh, functioning processes. Prior to, prior to doing that, it would be immature of you to apply automation. Yeah, and this is something very known in the industry. One of the limitations of people who do adopt the tools, uh, but they do not review the processes. When you do automation, you first have to review the process. If it's wrong, then you will automate it wrong or it will introduce even more um, more scale into your um, errors, basically, uh, as you will do more transactions with, with the automation. So uh, it will um, it will have a bigger impact if you do it wrong. So it's it's a very good point to actually review your processes before starting the actual automation journey for them. And even if I have my processes right, does that mean, is it then straightforward for me to set up automation around it? Or would I also need an understanding of automation in itself because I've heard you sooner talking about how, um, you know, sometimes approaching automation with a manual mindset, and we actually mm. have a podcast episode that talks about this as well, yeah. um, is kind of is an issue actually and a barrier to some people having success with automation because they approach it in that manual way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, I agree with myself on that. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th I think the, uh, the, the key issue is that... Um, it, it you know entering into the automation domain is is um, is not easy. Um, so you might we are doing what we can to to make that as as painless as possible by offering this uh, this uh, visual approach as Florian was also talking about. Um, but obviously we all need to acknowledge the fact that you know the automation space is um, is something that you need to master as well, right? So so you learn the tool and then. Uh, and then you also you also understand the the challenge that you that you want to solve. Um, so so I always I always use the Excel analogy, right? So so even though that I can do simple math, um, and then hence I can apply Excel, doesn't mean that I then master the entire uh, financial domain. Uh, I can, uh, on the contrary, I can do a lot of accidents uh, with Excel. I'm a living proof of that. Uh, so, so you need to you need to master not just the tool but also the domain. 
that that you're working with. And um, I think, and you know, it's it's completely fair that that is not obvious because obviously all the automation vendors will will you know sell you the vision of automation um, where where that sort of is solved by the tool, um, and obviously um, it isn't basically. You need to you need to incorporate that. So that's why the full automation agenda is essentially you know it's it's the tool agenda, but it's also the change agenda, and it's about understanding which skills you have available, which resources you have. Do you have the required people to support you on this journey? Which is uh, another place to start um, talking about the processes. So uh, putting my business user hat on again here, or business owner perhaps hat on. Um, how long then will it take for me to get started? How many will it take me? Days, hours, weeks, months, years? What should I expect? <laughs> Two minutes. It depends. You know? Yes. Depends. Uh, Next question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it all depends on the resources you uh, invest in this. You can have a very smooth and fast onboarding. Uh, you can have everything up and running in two to three weeks. If you have the resources already available, like the hardware, the people are already allocated and they have gone through some training. But it can also take a longer time if you start reviewing processes, if you collect information, if you do scoring for your use cases, it will it will be a very lengthy journey. So it all depends uh, on the actual approach you take and how, how much structure you put in. Sometimes it pays off to uh, have a bit more structure and invest more time upfront uh, before starting the actual automation uh, processes or automating your activities. Uh, but it's not always the case. We've seen quite a few customers starting to automate after only two or three weeks. Um, it pays off uh, on their handful of uh, use cases, but it will be a bit more difficult to scale in the longer run. That's the main limitation that I see. And you mentioned before ease of use. So obviously that will play a role as well in how fast you get started with it. And I mean, we talk about no code a lot. This is a no code podcast <laughs> as well. Um, but we talk about it um, as, and a, a lot of other vendors talk about it as well. But there's also low code and there's code base. So maybe can you tell us a little bit about what that actually means um, from a practical perspective, like in how long it will take me to get started with something? and what resources I'll need for it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of see this trend where people put low-code and no-code into the same bucket, which is not very fair, I would say. Um, the low-code definitely, um, and I can say that for a fact since I've used the previous tool, uh, which uh, is branded as low-code, you do need to understand programming and concepts in programming like loops and other type of constructs, ifs, there are quite a few of them. Even string manipulation is not so straightforward. You cannot just grab something from a file. You would need to transform it into something else. And sometimes you need to have programming kind of notation in order to achieve that. And that's pretty, I would say, not so straightforward for a business user, but it's it takes a long time to get your mindset into that space. So that's why when you talk about low code, it will not be there in a production environment after two or three weeks. It, it It's taking a few months to get you up and running, understand the tool. Of course, it's very complex. Uh, it offers many, maybe more capabilities that, than a no code and some other advantages, but it's it's very difficult to get trained on such a tool 
because you do need programming understanding at least. Of course, if you have programming knowledge and you have done it in the past, it will be more um, easy to grasp and uh, faster to, to understand, but it's, it would still take a lot longer than the no-code approach. Yes. And then switching into the no-code domain is essentially then a discussion of enabling those users without that required mindset of being able to, to develop code or write code, whatever you want to put it, uh, into a position where they can actually and actively um, build working automation. So, so and and I guess the, the argument that, that Florian was making in terms of saying, is it low or is it no code? I mean, even within the no code space, it still applies. Um, you will you will see vendors with with different types of approaches where at some point, uh, you know, it's it's going to rear its face, and you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to uh, apply those uh, those coding skills in order to complete uh, and make a you know a full fledged uh, set of automation. So I guess the true test is whether or not that you can truly build. Uh, a working set of automation using code or not and and obviously our position is that many of those vendors out there you will be you'll be challenged to do so um, and you will still be dependent of developer resources uh, to to do anything really um, and we are we are striving to 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 remove that barrier entirely uh, or at least reduce it as much as we possibly can to ensure that um, that we can keep the automation agenda, you know, secured on the, on the business side of things, as opposed to converting it into yet another uh, feature development activity where you have business people asking technical people to solve their problem. Right? We we need to we need to work on that and make that even more accessible um, to the business side. So so for, to me, ultimately, no code is about allowing. Uh, automation, which is independent of, of developer resources. And when you say no code, and when we talk about no code, of course, it says what it's not. <laughs> there is no code. But then what it is, if we should explain that with a few words, because it's easiest uh, understood, of course, when you look at it. But if we should explain as well, then how would you describe uh, how LeapWork lets you automate? So, so there are two main themes to, to, to talk about when doing automation. So one of them is, is actually operating the given application that you want to automate. And the other one is, is feeding with the required data so that you can do something meaningful with it. I'm sure there are other categories, but those are the ones I tend to see as the main ones. So, so if you take the one with getting the application to do something, um, then it has to be a story about, as a user, what do I need to do to get the application to do what it needs to do. So which buttons do I have to click? Which fields do I have to put stuff into? Uh, where do I need to look for results? Blah, 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 blah. Those questions and answers needs to be business driven as opposed to, uh, you know, I need to insert an object string, blah, 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 blah. By the way, I'm not a developer. And then, uh, you know, type stuff into this and that and identify object this and that and so and so in order for just, you know, doing itsy bitsy little things then we are talking low code or code and no code. If you can do the, get the process to move from A to B without having to uh, navigate IDs and structures and strings and floats and whatever it is that they're called, then we're talking no code. Um, and then conversely, on, on the data side, if you can plug in data sources, 
without having to navigate complex understanding of data models and uh, file formats and what have you, and you know how you know what is what are the terminology and 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 labels and what have you, so so that you need to navigate data from a structure perspective as opposed to. Uh, I guess the most relevant image is to say, well, anyone can open an Excel sheet, right? And understand, oh, here's some columns and some rows, and, and this is what it expresses and contains. And if you can if you can apply that directly into automation, then you've also covered that uh, no-code aspect as well in terms of feeding data into the flow. And at least in my experience, where most applications and, and vendors out there are doing a decent job on moving the application from A to B, uh, certainly when it comes to plugging data into them, things get hairy and, and many, many business users just go and, you know, raise their hands and wait for some grown up to come and help them, which is, of course, what we want to avoid. Yeah. And our approach with LeapWork is a bit more visual and more simplistic, I would say. Uh, it's the building block. So it's very similar to how you would normally draw a process diagram, basically drawing the building blocks. This is what we call them. Each building block would uh, represent an action in your process or a step and chaining them together, uh, having these arrows which connect them. It's very intuitive. I mean, for me, it took around like two days probably to get uh, to know the tool. Uh, once I've used something else, uh, it was very intuitive to understand. Of course, I do have this visual way of representing things normally. So for me, it was a one-to-one -one match to something that I'm familiar with, mm. uh, basically putting the steps on a canvas and chaining them together with arrows. Yeah, in that way, I guess flowcharts are a universal language that anyone can understand and probably how most people would describe a process if they were to do it in pictures and not with words. Mm. Yep. Um, but going back to this, uh, me pretending I, I own a company and it's uh, already using test automation in the IT department. If I also want to leverage the benefits of RPA, I, I know Suna, you talked about this in a webinar we did recently about SAP, uh, how uh, a business was using test automation and moved into RPA and saw benefits from that. Could yes. you talk about that? Yeah, well, it was actually, you know, going back to the conversation we also had earlier, right? So, so f you know, yesterday's regression flow is tomorrow's production flow. So, um, yeah, in this particular use case, it was uh, uh, it was validating uh, the functionality of the application, which when, you know, when we showed it to to a an analyst in the financial department, it was sort of, he was, he was going like, oh, this is pretty much what I need to do to, you know, um, do the uh, the part that I need to do for, for this documentation compliance thing that I'm subject to, be it Sarban Oxley or SOX or some other uh, beast that they need to comply to and, you know, file uh, steady flows of reports to make sure that they are, you know, where they need to be. So, you know, th those steps that we take in tests to validate, um, here I am, you know, uh, submitting a, uh, an order or posting some something into the ledger or whatever it is. Um, those are the same same steps that I need to do to to qualify that the processes are being done in the in the in just the right way, um, or uh, reflecting the the required uh, business process that I want to do. So, for in that particular use case, you know, that transition was completely seamless. Uh, the only difference is that. You know, when you have that dialogue in, in the business domain, 
um, they are not necessarily aware of the automation capabilities. They will typically associate it with a highly technical exercise. Um, and so uh, by, by showing them this visual approach, this business process driven approach, it sort of reduces that barrier between uh, test and, and production automation because it's the same people utilizing the tool. And, and by, by removing that sort of uh, technical difference, if you will, uh, then it becomes easier for them to, by themselves, elaborate on the scope and, ex and expand on it. And in doing so, uh, adding that capacity and quality and efficiency that the business owner is looking for when they're, tr when they're uh, trying to succeed with automation. And maybe to add to that, um, I think one of the exercises that we did for the process, now talking about SAP Procure to Pay, uh, was if you do this process normally in SAP, it takes, I don't know, minimum 40, 45 minutes, even more, depending on how fast you are on keyboard and mouse. And of course, the SAP instance has to play well as well. If it takes manual, a manual person or a person uh, to do this manually 40 to 45 minutes, and our benchmark in the latest release that we had was uh, you can do this in about two minutes when once you automate it. So you have a huge saving there. If you take this and apply it to maybe a thousand transactions, you can calculate the saving. And if you put numbers onto it, I mm -hmm. think it's a bit scary, but uh, I think that's that's about right. This is something that you can gain in terms of performance, you can get it down by, I don't know, 95% or something like that. And I guess that's one of the key differences between test and RPA, right? Because yeah. in test, you would have that procure to pay, whatever it is process, and you do it once or twice, and then you're happy from a testing context. Whereas in RPA, you might have to do this hundreds of times uh, because it's the same deal that you need to execute, but obviously now, creating real business of it. So you need to run them every single time the uh, the appropriate event occurs, that you, which would lead you to, to do this particular part of processing. And needless to say, if we're talking in the hundreds of runs times 45 minutes, um, you know, then then uh, things uh, start to add up, right? Yeah. Um, so so that's, that's where the difference between the efficiency, efficiency agenda, which is what you would typically associate with, with RPA, uh, it goes hand in hand with the quality agenda because obviously they're, they're delivering the same thing at once, right? Because the, the automation will ensure that you, um, that once you've automated a given process and done that investment, then you can sort of rest assured that this particular activity is now being done in the exact same way um, as the previous time, uh, which is pure gold in RPA and also in QA. Um, so, so it's just it's go it goes hand in hand with with uh, with that other efficiency in terms of speed. And um, Florent, you mentioned before cross technology functionality is something uh, that's important to getting started with automation and, and getting the most out of it or having the having the full benefit of, of automation. How does that come into play here as well? Because obviously there are a lot of tools out there and some of them automate some things really well, but not all of them automate all things really well. So saying that I, if you, if I am a, a, a again, a business owner um, with, you know, using testing, but then wanting to move into RPA and I have a lot of other processes that involve a lot of other technologies, 
different, let's say SAP, but then there's also another database and a, I don't know, legacy system and so on. Um, is how, what role does that play? Is that important for me to, um, to have that cross technology functionality or is it, can I patch things together and make it work like that? Well, if you have an unlimited budget, you can patch things together, but it will get very costly uh, over the over time because uh, usually applications change. And if you were to have only one tool to automate all those technologies, whether we're talking about mainframe or databases or even desktop applications, um, you would benefit a lot by having only one tool because you go through the training process once, you understand the tool, how it works, how it works with various technologies. Once you get a new application under your, let's say, umbrella, you have to test it or you have to automate it to that uh, to that point. You would not need to go to the retraining or re-understanding of a new tool. So having one tool to automate almost all technologies that you have to automate gives you great benefit in uh, scaling and also in terms of keeping your costs under uh, under control, because that's one key component. Costs can go up by purchasing a new tool, by investing in training for a new tool, by maintaining the processes that you have in that tool. If it's a scripting heavy tool, then changing 10,000 scripts, uh, it will be very costly in terms of time. Uh, and of course, this is not really something scalable across years or across uh, technologies. So that's one of the of the main benefits or several benefits uh, put together um, to having this capability across technologies. Yeah. And uh, and if, so having the ability to to cross technologies from, from a tool perspective, of course, purchasing-wise and investment-wise, um, and just elaborating on the, on the learning curve side of things, so as a business user, once you've sort of um, I think one of the, the important aspects of it is that once you've then learned or master the automation side of things, um, and if that mastering then allows you to automate across, right? Needless to say, scale-wise, uh, um, the time it takes you to get you know proper traction will will be reduced because it will it will become a lesser discussion, which is. I guess also one of the differences between code-based or no code-based automation. If you have code-based automation, then you know invariably it tends also to be a discussion about the given technology that is that I want to automate, and then I need then I can apply all of my resources. I need to find that specific guy over there who knows this particular thing, um, which then adds the other dimension of getting the resources and you know prioritize those and so you know living with the fact that they cannot do then the other things over there whereas opposed to if you can just you know put the business issues into play and focus on the business process because that's the language that we're applying to it as opposed to that object structure or whatever it is um again that 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 supports scaling across those business technologies and i have yet to find that one organization where all end-to-end customer facing processes are being executed in the that one system, it, it, it never happens. I mean, the norm is that you have hundreds of systems um, catering for various aspects of either customer experience or internal users' uh, ability to support your operations, whatever it is. We're talking hundreds of systems here, on, and that's on the cheap end. Uh, I've, been in, I've been in banks with 
you know, thousands. <laughs> and and they don't even know them themselves, right? They're like, oh, I have that one as well. And they go, so needless to say, if you can if you can apply that and you know turn that into a business language driven organized uh, conversation instead, um, uh, you're helping yourself in the long run. Great. Um, no, so this last question I'm going to ask you is a tricky one. Um, bringing bringing us all together, what would be your advice to business owners out there, or at least top level people who are considering investing in automation, if they want to also not just scale automation down the end to get that return on investment, uh, but to also see that return fast? Well, I guess fast is the key word here. Um, and uh, I'm, you know, I've, I've been in quite a lot of situations where, um, you know, going back to the point that both Thor and I was making in terms of getting your ducks in a row and making understand that your your processes are where you want them to be this also applies to to that manual mindset when we talk about testing making sure that you're actually you know ready to do automated testing also from a uh, you know I, I have my i've control of my scope i know what i want to test and how i want to test it blah blah blah, blah. so create so you you've got the tool you've got the processes in place now the next crucial thing that you need to succeed with as the fortunate soul in the company to drive this automation agenda is to onboard every relevant stakeholder and get them on board on the idea that, okay, then we now have a plan. This is how long it's going to take me to execute it. And what I mean with that is that in, I've seen many situations where, okay, we bought the tool. Uh, where is that automation then? Right? So magically appearing through, you know, the, the, the floors, uh, just appearing out of nowhere, uh, Maybe even expecting that since this, this is a, this accessible tool, easy to use, blah blah blah, that people will then just magically start to build automation. If you if you're still running a regime with your project managers, now we're talking about you know building software. If you have your project managers are going there and says, well, I need to deliver this in two weeks, and I appreciate you'd like to automate this, but I can't find the time for that in my schedule. Thank you very much. So please just go ahead and test. And then someone else can solve that automation problem. So if you haven't onboarded everyone, if you haven't, you know, made it very visible that indeed fast is a topic for discussion, what does that actually mean? Um, so creating that very visible and prominent plan, which shows very clearly that this investment, okay, I, I now spend the money on purchasing the software. Now I need to make this investment in time to convert whatever it is that I'm doing manually into something running automatically. Um, that would be my recommendation number one when, when starting up a new plan. Yeah, and maybe to add to that, um, this brings up another interesting topic and trend, and that's the citizen developer, which we haven't touched actually. Um, of course, it's good to have a tool. Um, it needs to deliver value fast, but I think the people are the key here. Uh, so the more people you can onboard uh, into your automation space, let's call it space, um, the more positive results you'll have. This is not a quick thing. You will not do automation in five months or 
six months, you have to do automation constantly. So you have to create new flows, new automation flows. You have to maintain the existing ones. You have to discover new things. Uh, you will always have new applications or new versions. So this is a constant journey. So you also need to plan for this overall journey in automation, not only for the short-term uh, results. Of course, those are useful in order to get maybe more budget or more traction. But the more people you will onboard and more people you will make familiar with the tool, the more success you will have. So my advice would be onboard as many users as possible to the platform, uh, make them familiar with the tool, see who gets it, uh, and build on top of your people and their skills, actually, not on the actual tool. Mm. If you just select a tool, uh, everybody's using that tool. I, I won't name any names. But if people are not using it, and if you have a very uh, long delivery time for any new project, it will not pay off. The more people you have on board, and the more will say, okay, I know how to do this, you don't have to help me, you will have a lot faster results and um, a better automation journey overall. Mm. And you say that the more people, the better, basically. But is that is that everyone? Because I'm thinking then, is there a risk involved in having... Uh, automation accessible to a lot of people, especially if it's in a production environment. I think you said the right people, didn't you? Yes. It's, it's more people, not everyone. No. Right. Uh, so that's why... I assume that's what you meant. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, I don't believe in everybody can automate. Of course, everybody can automate, but you need to have some kind of framework and some kind of control over this. Uh, so my suggestion would be to test as much as possible on everyone to see who gets it. And the people who get that can be your champions, can be your people who can automate in a certain department, for example. So test across departments, see who can be or who are your champions within those departments. Get those people together, discuss ideas, um, refine refine them, and then put those processes onto your framework. So do the automation with those uh, business people maybe, uh, and then have them validated by some experts that can uh, provide a second opinion on top of it, apply some best practices, maybe adjust slightly the automation processes. And this is how you actually succeed by refining your automation flows. Yeah. And I just want to elaborate a bit on what you said for in terms of saying that um, uh, this is not a project. This is a new permanent organizational feature uh, for your organization. What this means, uh, obviously, a lot of, of these automation efforts starts with or as projects. So someone is being charged, solve that automation problem and let me know when you're done. And that's the problem. You're never done uh, building automation. It's, it's a continuous scope. There will always be changes in applications or uh, new processes coming in, whatever it is. So, so acknowledging that and not thinking of it as a project is uh, is key, and only through that, I guess, you know, you can you can facilitate what Florence is talking about. You're finding the people, build on those, uh, and and use that as the platform going forward. Yeah, and as with any other tool, I guess at the end of the day, if if the tool isn't doesn't make people happy when they use it. If it's too difficult to use, if it's too tricky, uh, it, it just won't be adopted because it won't help people. It'll only frustrate them, right? So exactly. that's key. Yeah. 
All right. Well, um, that was great advice <laughs> um, and a great conversation. So um, thank you so much for joining today's uh, today's podcast. That was the end of this episode of Decoding Automation. Thank you very much for listening. Remember to subscribe to this podcast and you can do that on Spotify and on iTunes. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review as well. We really appreciate that. I'm Maria Homan and this was a podcast brought to you by Leafwork. Work.